All right. Uh, please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I suppose that you could preach on Christmas from every book of the Bible. Matter of fact, I kind of thought that that's, that would be a good thing for me to research sometime, how every book of the Bible speaks about Christmas in some way or another. So I am going to make this a Christmas message, but it's from an unexpected text. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at it together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this building. I thank you, Lord, for these people. And I thank you that you are present among us. Would you please, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, open up the eyes of our understanding to your word and to your greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this is kind of an unusual text to speak about Christmas. I want you to see Christmas is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, you might preach on Christmas from Matthew chapter 1 and 2. You might preach on it from Luke chapter 2. You might preach on it from Isaiah chapter 7 or Isaiah chapter 9. Christmas is all over the Bible. But look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, where we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. I, I think it's very important for us around Christmas to think about what Christmas is all about. But I, I also believe that it's hard to boil down the meaning of Christmas to just one thing. I, I, I think Christmas is so glorious I think that the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is so spectacular that rather than it being one point of great meaning, it's more like a kaleidoscope. The more you look at it, the more you change it, the more wonderful it is. It's always changing, not, not in its meaning, but in our perception and our understanding of the depth of all that it means. And I just want to turn the kaleidoscope of God's word just a little bit and, and just take a look at it and say, here's a glorious aspect, a facet of Christmas that you may not have considered before. I think what we have here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 is a gold mine. And we're just going to take a look at this verse, kind of piece by piece, phrase by phrase. And in it, I basically want to make six points here. I don't know if that terrifies you, a six-point sermon that a pastor's going to preach. But I tell you that from the very beginning, so you can judge how far along we are. You don't lose despair along the way. It's six points, but it's only six points. And I'll tell you what they are right up from here. First of all, I want to take a look at the riches of Jesus. Then I want to take a look at the poverty of Jesus. I want to look at the manner of his poverty. I want to take a look at the reason for his poverty. I want to take a look at the result of his poverty. And because it's six points, I need another hand. I want to take a look at the motive of his poverty. All those things together. So let's just take a look at it piece by piece. First of all, the, the riches of Jesus Christ. Look at that phrase there in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that... Though he was rich. Now we don't usually think of babies being born rich. No babies born with pockets. No babies born with money bags in its hand. Babies come out of the womb naked. 
They're, they're, they're absolutely in and of themselves destined. They say, well, they come from a wealthy family. But look, that baby in and of itself, when it's born, it doesn't have anything. But I want you to know that the existence of Jesus Christ did not begin when he was born at Bethlehem. Nor did it begin when he was conceived by a miracle in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The existence of Jesus predated all of that. Because Jesus Christ is God, not only is he the son of God, he is God the son, Jesus has always existed. It says in Micah that his going forth are of old, of everlasting. In other words, reaching back into eternity past. There was never a time when God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, did not exist. Now, that's when Jesus was rich. Think of Jesus before conceived in Mary's womb. Think of Jesus before born as a babe in Bethlehem. There he is enthroned in heaven as the second person of the Trinity. Is he not rich in heaven? Now when I say he's rich, it's almost, it's almost crazy to talk about in those terms because if you want to talk about God being rich, we're not talking about God being rich on a scale that's meaningful to, to human beings in any way we can conceive of. I mean, is God rich? Uh, you, you, you survey the, I don't know, look in Forbes magazine or this or that website and see who are the five or the 10 richest people in the world today and they give their net worth and all that they're worth and this many billion and that many billion. But brothers and sisters, you could take the combined net worth of every person on earth, not just the wealthiest, but every person on earth and God's richer than all of that. God owns everything. What does God not own? Matter of fact, you go to heaven and what are the streets paved with? Gold. They use it for asphalt in heaven. You go to heaven and the gates of the city are made with gigantic pearls. Pearls as big as a city gate. Which makes you think, I'd want to see the oyster that makes that pearl, don't you? I mean, just on any human scale, God is rich beyond measure. Think about all the ways that Jesus was rich in heaven. Jesus was rich in possessions. Jesus was rich in honor. Jesus was rich in power. Jesus was rich in love. You could even say that Jesus was rich in happiness. I mean, it's almost hard to express. It's beyond anything that we can comprehend how rich God is. So do we got that first point? He was rich. Now, take a look at the other part. Verse nine again. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Jesus lived his life as a poor man. Now, I don't want to exaggerate the poverty of Jesus. And I suppose we could do that. Uh, I live in Santa Barbara, and if you've ever visited Santa Barbara, if you've ever walked up and down State Street, you've likely had an encounter with some of our homeless population in Santa Barbara. And some of those folks that you may meet, or they will meet you, some of them can be very proactive, to put it kindly, Uh, some of those people you may encounter from the homeless community in Santa Barbara, some of them appear, I, I don't know if it's actually true, but they appear to be very poor, destitute. 
Their clothes are very disheveled, torn, rags. Uh, maybe they look very unkempt in their personhood. They, 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 they may not um, smell very good, to put it frankly. I mean, you just look at That's like abject poverty. You think Now, Jesus was not like that. Jesus had suitable clothes to wear. Uh, Jesus had food to eat. Now, he was poor. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a home that he owned, but, I mean, he, he got along with the necessities of life. But make mo- no mistake, on a human scale, nobody would say that Jesus was, financially speaking, rich. He did not have a notable net worth. In the days of his earthly ministry, when he stopped his trade as a carpenter, because remember that for Jesus' adult life before he embarked on his three-year ministry, for those days before that, he, he provided for his own needs and the needs of his family. But when he started his ministry, he lived all or mostly off the generosity of other people. And so he became poor. Now, if you want an example of this, Picture the Christmas scene in your mind. You have a nativity set at home. What does the whole nativity set show you? Well, you look at the room that Jesus was born in. The room that Jesus was born in. Uh, it had marble floors. Your granite walls. No. It, it's a stable. You, you look at the, um, the bed that he was laid upon. Fine linen. Silks. No. It's a, it's a straw laid in a manger. Look at the people uh, giving him attention and honor. Is it the great dignitaries of the world? No, it's not the wise men who came a year or two later. It's simple shepherds from the community. No, everything about that whole nativity scene says, well, look, this, this is a simple man. This is a poor man. Now, it goes without saying that if I were God, I wouldn't have done it this way. Let me tell you something, and we're all happy that I'm not God, believe me. But if I were God, and I were to add humanity to my deity and come down to this earth, I would have come as the richest, most powerful person that ever lived. I mean, because all riches would be at my disposal, would they not be? The same son of God who could look at a stone and make bread of it, as Satan tempted him to do in the wilderness, couldn't he take a look at that same stone and make gold of it? Why not? Jesus could do that. Think of how fabulously wealthy Jesus could have been, but he was not. No, matter of fact, if I were to come as Jesus did, I wouldn't even have come as a child. Well, why couldn't Jesus just come as a full-grown human? If you had the choice to skip your junior high years, would not you not have done it? <laughs> and so Jesus, he, he could, conceivably, he could have come into Jerusalem as a mysterious stranger and nobody knew where he came from. Did not the first Adam come to this earth as a full-grown human being? Why not the second Adam? Why not? But no, Jesus said, no, I'm going to come poor. I'm going to come as a child. I'm going to come leaving aside the access to my divine prerogatives. I'm not going to reject them because he's still God. But he says, no, I will not lay hold of them. Let me ask you a question. 
Who would ever be poor when they had it in their power to be rich? That's like having the winning lottery ticket in your hand and saying, nah, I won't cash it in. But that's what Jesus did. And you could say that he did it every day of his life. I mean, not only was he born in a stable, but as a boy, he was banished from his country when Herod uh, put out his terrors of, of killing all those young children. He grew up in the home of a humble carpenter. He had no fancy clothes, no home of his own. He relied on the generosity of other people for his food and sustenance, at least during the days of his earthly ministry. And you could say that Jesus didn't even own the tomb that he was loaned in, buried in, I should say. He borrowed that very tomb. So look at the poverty of Jesus. He was rich in possessions in heaven. Now he comes to earth and he becomes relatively poor in possessions. He was rich in honor in heaven. Now he comes to earth and becomes relatively poor in honor. He was rich in power in heaven. He comes to earth and becomes relatively poor in power. He's rich in love in heaven. Look at how Jesus is adored and loved by every angelic creature in heaven. He comes to earth and he doesn't get the love that he deserves here. And he's rich in happiness in heaven. No pain, no suffering, no difficulty, no fatigue, nothing like that in heaven. He comes to earth and he becomes the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was rich and he became poor for us. Now let me add another contrast to that. There are people who are poor but they have lived their entire life in poverty. Now that's a tragedy, but but at least their expectation level is set at a certain place. There is an additional tragedy when we consider the person who once was rich and has now become poor. And they can remember better days. Isn't that like, oh, Look at the car I used to drive, and now I'm driving this. Look at the house I used to live in, and now I'm living in this. Can you not imagine how that was something for Jesus every day of his existence? He understood the riches that he once had, and now the relative poverty that he lived in. How this is of deep meaning to us. Okay, he was rich, he became poor, but look at the manner of his poverty. It's right there in verse nine. Look at it again. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. He became poor. Notice, it does not say he was made poor. I tell you, if you find just about anybody in the world today who is rich and then goes to poverty, it's not because they chose it. It's because it was forced upon them, but not Jesus. Nobody made Jesus became poor. He said, no, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I have come to do your will, O God. And if it means setting aside the prerogative of the riches that I have in heaven and coming as a relatively poor person on this earth, then I will do that. And he chose, he became poor. It was out of his free choice that he made. No one made him poor. He himself 
chose to become poor. And when Jesus chose this, I believe that he could have chosen differently at any moment. At any moment, as I mentioned before, he could say to that stone, become gold, and it would. And he could instantly go from a pauper, in human speaking, to a prince. But he said, no, not only will I choose it once, I will choose it every day. I was rich, now I have become poor. Now why? Why would he do that? Look at the line here in verse nine where he says, very simply, for your sakes he became poor. Why would he do this? Jesus did not think like this. Well, wouldn't it be fun to live as the other half lives? I've lived quite a privileged life. Why not come and, you know, just kind of slum it around the country? Why not do a little dirty jobs experiment here and just kind of see how the other half lives? It wasn't like that at all. No, he said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this of deliberate purpose. I'm going to do it for their sakes, for your sakes. Who was Paul writing to when he wrote this? For your sakes. He's writing to the Corinthians. Now, by the way, you kind of notice that I, I sort of parachuted us down in the middle of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You might say, well, what's Paul talking? Is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 all about Christmas? Well, not directly. You know what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is really all about? It's about giving. Paul is instructing the Corinthian Christians on how they should be givers. Matter of fact, if you want to know about giving in the Bible, spend a lot of time reading and studying 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Paul gives a lot of instruction on those principles in those chapters. But in the course of teaching about giving, Paul holds up Jesus as the example of the ultimate giver. Here's Jesus, the one who gave everything. And he didn't do it just as a noble experiment. He didn't even do it just for his own inner good. He did it for the sake of his people. For your sakes, he became poor. For us. For the Corinthian believers, for every believer since then. Now, why would Jesus need to become poor for our sakes? How does the poverty of Jesus benefit us at all? There's kind of strange economic thinking in our country, really in the Western world as a whole. They somehow think that it can be a benefit to the common people if you take money from the people who have the most and just kind of take it from them. That that's really that's what we need to do. In our, find out the people who find the 10 richest people in the country, take what they have. We don't believe for a minute it'll filter down to the common people, do we? No, come on. Wherever it goes, it goes into some great black hole somewhere. But take it away from them and we'll all be better. Friends, you know that's not true. If if you were to take it, if you were to impoverish, uh, make of zero value all the top 10 wealthy people in the United States, it wouldn't benefit us in the slightest. Then how does Jesus' poverty benefit us? Let me give you some ways. First of all, it benefits us because it shows us the giving heart of God. We need to know the giving heart of God. Look, it comes down to even the most familiar verse in the Bible. Probably the most familiar verse in the Bible is John 3.16. You know how it begins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the heart of God. He is a giving God. 
And what Jesus did right here in the Christmas story, it shows us his giving heart. But then also what this does is it shows us the relative importance of material things. Listen, we know that Jesus in a material sense was impoverished during this life, during his earthly existence, but not in a spiritual sense. There was never a more spiritually rich person who walked this earth other than Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something else that it does. How the poverty of Jesus benefits us is it makes Jesus open and accessible to every person. Now, it's possible that if you were to meet a very wealthy person, you might be intimidated to meet them. There's just something about that dynamic. If you think about it logically, it doesn't make much sense. But there's just something very human nature-ish in that. If you were to meet a very wealthy, influential people, you'd be like, whew, man, I'm nervous to meet them. You know, just that. You know what? You'd never be nervous about meeting somebody poorer than you. That's just not, not in the same equation. Jesus came in such a way that he would not intimidate anybody in that sense. That he would be open and accessible to all. They would say, come, I am one of you. You see, Jesus wants to rebuke our pride that might make us refuse to come to a poor savior. And I'll add one more thing. The poverty of Jesus gives people the opportunity of giving unto Jesus. So for all of those things, it is for our sake that Jesus became poor. Now next, and we're already up to number five in our six points. Look at this. Look at the result of Jesus' poverty. Do you see that there in verse nine? He says this. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Now here it is. Here's the result. That through his poverty, you might become rich. How about that? Because of Jesus' poverty and all that was related to it, we can become rich. We, and when I say we, I mean his people. I'm talking to people who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the common brotherhood of humanity, even though that's a real concept. We are all a brotherhood of humanity, but there is an even more decided concept of God's family And if you want to be a part of God's family today, the door is wide open to you. It happens by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For those people, he says, I will give you an inheritance in my kingdom to come. You see, even though Jesus was poor as he walked this earth in his earthly ministry, in heaven, he inherits all things. And Jesus says, you can become rich. You can share in that very inheritance. And we become rich through the poverty of Jesus. We receive the very riches of Jesus Christ. Because I got news for you. Jesus is now ascended to heaven. Jesus was rich in possessions in heaven and now has them again. So are we. And I'll tell you, the greatest rich riches that we have in Jesus Christ are the riches of contentment. You know, that's something money can't buy. You can have somebody who has a lot of money, 
But if they don't have that blessing, that gift of contentment, what good is it? Jesus Christ gives us that gift of contentment. He gives us riches of honor. We're adopted into his family. He makes us rich in power because we can come as sons and daughters of the God of all power. We're rich in love. We have the love of God poured out into our hearts and we're rich in happiness. God gives us the peace that passes all understanding. It's through his poverty that he rescues us from sin and shame and we become rich in him. Right, let me finish up with this. The last point, point number six, the motive of Jesus's poverty. Now for the motive, I want you to look at the very first line of the verse. I almost skipped it over in the beginning because I wanted to save this for the last. Look at this, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was the motive of Jesus in doing all this? Grace. Grace. Grace is what motivated him. Now, please understand the biblical idea of grace. Grace is receiving and your merit, your deserving as someone who receives has nothing to do with the giving of the gift. Grace giving is when the motive for giving is in the giver, not in the receiver. And if you think of the classic idea of Santa Claus, you know, kind of the mythical, jolly Santa Claus, that is a perfect example of the opposite of grace giving. Because what does Santa Claus do? He looks over everybody and see who's naughty and who's nice. And you naughty ones, you're not going to get anything or you'll get a lump of coal or something like that. But you nice ones who have deserved it, you're going to get something. That is the opposite of grace giving. No, you parents, in the way that you give gifts to your children at Christmas, that's much more the idea of grace giving. Because why do you give them, do do you give gifts to your children because they're such wonderful kids all year round? Why does that get a laugh from people? Listen, honestly, when it comes to giving things to your kid, you, you don't care much if they've been naughty or nice You give, why? Because you want to give to them. The motive is in you. The motive is not in them. That's grace. This gift that Jesus Christ wants to give you at Christmas, this gift is a gift that you do not have to earn or deserve. Now I'm gonna take that back. Forget what I just said right there. I said it's a gift that you do not have to earn or deserve. I'm going to change that. It's a gift that you cannot earn or deserve. Not just it's not a good idea for you to do it. You can't do it. This is a gift freely given because the reasons are in God for giving it. So your idea is not to earn it and deserve it. You can't. Your idea is to believe it or receive it. Christmas time, there's beautiful gifts under the tree. You go up to a gift, beautiful gift, lovely wrap. Must be something good, man, it's for you. And you look and you go, I can't take that gift. I didn't earn it. That's crazy talk, isn't it? You say, who cares? Of course you didn't earn it. It's a gift, receive it. Listen, it's the same thing with the riches that come to you at Christ's expense. 
at Christmas. What he gave to you through his poverty, the poverty that made him come in a stable at Bethlehem, the poverty that made him live as a simple man, the poverty that made him depend upon others for support throughout his ministry, the poverty that took him to the cross to pour out everything, body, soul, and spirit for our salvation. It's through that poverty that we become rich in him. That's all the motive. It's grace. So receive it. Stop trying to earn and deserve the love of God. That's God's word for somebody here this morning, maybe several of you. You need to stop trying to earn and deserve the love of God and just receive it by faith because it's God's free gift to you. Now, I'm gonna end with one final thought. And I know I said six points, so this isn't technically a seventh, it's a final thought. (laughs) Which in preaching, it doesn't count as a point. Because it'll be very quick. If Jesus did all this for you in his poverty, how much more will he do for you in his riches? Because can I tell you something? He's not poor anymore. He has ascended back up into heaven. He remains fully God and fully man, seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. But he has ascended back into heaven, rich in every way. And if this is what Jesus Christ has done for you in and through his poverty, can you even imagine what he has for you in and through the riches that he enjoys right now? This is God's gift for us.